Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Hey, Reggie. Yeah, I know. How about this voice? It's back a little. It was really bad after I after I recorded uh, our last podcast. I just barely made through that, and then the next couple of days was really tough, and I had a horrible um, sore throat. So this is an amazing <laughs> improvement, even though it may not sound like it. But we will continue on. <clears throat> Thankfully, once again, I have taken um, COVID tests, and uh, they both came up negative. So this is just a a cold. Remember those? <laughs> uh, not as congested as I has been have been as well. Thankfully, I've, I'm feeling. I'm actually feeling better, which may sound crazy how I sound, but if you had heard me the last four or five days in between when the last time I recorded my pod, the last podcast and this one, uh, this is a huge, huge, huge improvement. So we will continue on. What's so funny is I, 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 you know, because of wearing a mask, I didn't really get a cold in the last couple of years. So I'm not sure how this one snuck in, but I did do a play and I was on a stage and I was exposed to germs, I guess, you know, in a, in a pretty big manner. So thankfully not COVID, but, um, Obviously a cold. So anyway, <clears throat> let's go. Are we ready? Here we go. Three oh one. We you have to you have to do you have to hit three hundred if you're going to do four hundred, right? It's just it's part of the it's part of the thing. So we're off to three oh one as we continue to move onward. I'll give you the three S's and the countdown, and uh, you give me uh, the music, and I will give you a podcast. We've been doing it. 300 times, so let's do it. 301. Ready? Star, smile, strong. And I say that for my voice, hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully I can get through this for an hour. (laughs) And um, here we go. Ready? Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Pod. Oh, God. That didn't sound good. Let's try that one again. Here we go. Three, two, oh man, here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. But more importantly, don't forget, if you like what you hear over these last 300 podcasts, keep listening and tell your friends, tell your family, tell anyone you know who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. That loyalty, that devotion, that extra effort is always appreciated. Also, if you like what you hear, go back to WGNRadio.com. Go to the prompt for this podcast 
and you will find all previous podcasts or a great, great, great many of them going back to May of 2016. There should be 300 in there. Hope you're around for 300. If not, here we go. On our way to the next 300. Or at least a 400. Welcome to episode 301. So, yes, we have completed 300 episodes. you got to do 300 if you're going to do 400, right? It's just one of the steps along the way. So thank you so much for being around either for the entirety of this podcast, almost six years now, and 300 episodes, or maybe you're relatively new, whatever the case may be. Uh, Welcome aboard. Thank you for your patronage. Thank you for your loyalty. And onward we go. Uh, Yes, you can hear my voice is a little nasal, but a little stronger and a little less hoarse than it was uh, last week. Uh, Ironically, for my 300th podcast, my voice will sound like that for for history. But it actually made it sound, I guess, you know, like, you know, I've been doing 300 podcasts, so my voice should be a little worn out, right? If you, if you think my voice sounds a little nasal and a little different now, my goodness, you should have listened to, you should have heard me over the past four days or so in between the time when I recorded uh, last week's podcast and today. This is a thousand percent improvement. I had a horrible sore throat. Oh my goodness. It was... Every time I swallowed, you know how when it gets, you know, I, every time I swallowed it hurt. And there were times when it was so sore that when I swallowed, my ears were hurting as well. So I guess, I don't know, you know, everything's connected, I guess, right? Ears, nose, and throat. Isn't that the, isn't that the doctor? The ears, nose, and throat. So somewhere, um, I didn't take a, anatomy. In college, but uh, they all must be connected somehow because my nose was clogged, my throat was sore, and every time I swallowed for a period, my ears hurt. <laughs> and I just, and, and ironically, I was just going to go. I was like, "Well, I, I might have to go to a doctor here because this this is not getting any better." I was uh, I was taking some over the counter medications, and I was doing some of those age old remedies mainly drinking tea with honey, as well as gargling hot salt water. And um, I think the, the honey, the honey, the hot tea and honey worked much better than the, the salt water did. And I was going to, I was to a point where my, my throat was hurting so bad that I said, okay, I'm going to have to go to a doctor. Maybe I've got some kind of infection and maybe there's, I need some more antibiotics or something. Um, and then I did my, my regimen of my honey and tea. And, uh, as the day went on, um, the sore throat went away. So thankfully right now my throat is not sore at all. (laughs) And when I'm, when I'm swallowing, I am not, uh, having earaches, (laughs) but I am still a little congested and I'm still 
battling the clear voice. You can hear that. Um, but it is a thousand times better than it was, and I'm feeling a thousand times better. And I am, and of course, you know, I never had a fever, which was good. And I did take two COVID tests, and both came out negative. So I just, I just, I just got a, one of these things called a cold, which um, you know we're not really used to getting anymore. I haven't had a cold in in about a year and a half or so now because wearing the mask all the time. Probably not only kept has kept me COVID free, but it's kept me uh, cold uh, and flu free as well. I mean, I did take the flu shot, so that might be helping. But I did not get a cold. I usually last year I did not get a cold at all. Never. I was surprised. I went. I went through the whole year. Now the only thing I can think of is uh, I recently was in a play, and so I was around a big group of people on stage, even though off stage we wore our masks. Um, but on stage, we, you know, we did not have masks on. And so I was obviously uh, exposed to germs. And so it just goes to show you, uh, thankfully, not exposed to anybody with COVID or my body didn't get it or I fought it off. Um, but obviously, somebody must have had some kind of a, a, there must have been a cold germ bopping around somewhere over the last week and a half uh, while on stage in just three days, too. What was interesting was um, that um, it just goes to show you, this is more proof about, you know, everybody's debating the effectiveness of a mask. But I will just, and I don't, I'm not saying this is, this is, completely scientific but i'm just using cause and results here uh a little um poor man's scientific method if you will but um when i started the rehearsals for the play that i was in the sting which was very fun and uh and very successful had a very successful run only three shows but very well attended very well received by the audience and we all had a good time so it was just a a nice experience but we started the rehearsals in november um before the uh omicron variant really took hold here and then started spreading like uh like wildfire in december and through the, the holidays and even into early january um but we wore masks. Everybody who was in the play had to show proof of vaccination. And um, and we wore our masks at every rehearsal from November, you know, through the, the week before or the few days before the show opened. I certainly did. Now, when we got on the stage a couple of days before, um, you know, some people did not wear their masks on stage because they needed to project and, and, that, and, the, and, and get used to the, the acoustics of the room. And we were not going to be wearing our masks for the play. So some people did take their masks off. I did not. But for the shows, while we were on stage, we took masks off. And, uh, but as soon as we got off stage, we had the masks in our pocket and we put, we were, we were, supposed to put the, the masks back on and most people did majority of the people did some people didn't which was kind of disconcerting um i had the mask on so much when i was not on stage that 
when I had to move some, <laughs> you know, a set piece from the backstage area onto the set and then stay on stage for my first scene. Um, thankfully, I was in the dark where I was placing this because I forgot to take my mask off when I went out on the stage, even though you know the, the light was not on me. I was not beginning my scene. I was just setting some uh, a piece in the dark, so I was not seen, and my, my, my mask was black, so I don't think anyone saw it. But thankfully, as I began to take my place on this set piece, waiting for the lights to come up on me to start my scene, uh, I I realized I had my mask on because I could have easily. I'm so. I mean, this is what's so funny. You get so used to wearing that mask. I know some people, uh, you know, act as like it's a prison sentence to wear this mask. But I have been wearing the mask from day one. I wear two masks, still do, always have, especially out in public. Um, and uh, and so I'm very used to wearing the mask, so much so that. I was on stage, ready to do a scene, uh, seeing other people around me with no masks on who were on stage while, you know, I was setting this piece while a scene was going on in the front of the stage. I was toward the back. But it was so common to me, so natural to me, I didn't even, I I didn't even feel it. I'm not even sure why it, it occurred to me, but thankfully it did. And I quickly took the mask off before I was, you know, the, the lights hit me and we're ready to go on. But my point is, we wore masks throughout that entire um, production, you know, rehearsal situation for you know almost two months. And I never got a cold, and I didn't get COVID. And I take the mask off for maybe three days, and I get a cold. Now, thankfully, I didn't get COVID, and I don't know if anyone did, but... <clears throat> and everybody, as I said before, was was vaccinated or boosted. But um, but I got a cold as soon as I took this mask off and was in close proximity with people for an extended period of time. For the first time in a year and a half, now almost two years since we the pandemic, I got a cold. So I think masks do you do work. Is this that's not scientific? But uh, but it seems to me that I, I've been wearing a mask in public very diligently um, for almost two years and have not gotten a cold in that time. And for the first time when I took the mask off for an extended period of time in front of people, close in close quarters with people, I got a cold. So I don't know. Is that proof or not? All I'm telling you is wore a mask, didn't get a cold, took the mask off, around people, got a cold. Take from that what you will. Anyway, so um, this is my voice today. It's it's a lot better than it was, and it's not as hoarse. But I do have some water with me, so if you, if you occasionally hear me <laughs> taking a sip, um, I'm doing that just to keep keeping my instrument moist. I probably should have done that. I don't know why. You know, I don't know why I didn't do that last week. I should have had some water with me too, and to keep my uh, my instrument moist. I didn't really. I didn't really think it was that bad. Uh, it was that when I recorded the the podcast last week was when really it started to get 
serious. I was feeling a tickle in my throat the day before, but I didn't think it was anything serious. And I think, you know, once again, I, I suffer from my art, folks. I think that maybe, you know, by talking for an hour like that, and, uh, you know, being enthusiastic and, and projecting and, and using different levels and, uh, of my voice, uh, I may have contributed to my voice getting much more hoarse and maybe even contributing to my throat getting more sore. I don't know. But it seemed like after I did that podcast, after I recorded that podcast, my throat started to hurt more. My voice started to get more hoarse over the, 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 the coming days. And I stopped. I didn't talk as much over the last two or three or four days. And and as I said, did this regimen of um, of gargling with salt water and you know having hot tea with honey. <clears throat> and um, at least I've got. I'm back to feeling better. Thankfully, never had a fever. Um, but anyway, so that's that's where that is. If you listened to the podcast last week, number three hundred. I was detailing the odyssey of attending 200 Elton John shows that began in 1976, and number 200 was in 2022, and uh, hopefully you found that interesting. I tried to uh, give a little behind the scenes of what it's been like and some of the, the major moments and memorable moments and why I've done it. One part of the story that I didn't tell that I thought merited its own little discussion of, and it's part of concert number 200. And I will always remember this as part of the story, but I thought I would save this because I think it merits uh, its own, its own discussion for a a couple of reasons. Um, This happened in Detroit on February 8th when I was attending my 200th Elton John concert. Now, I don't know about you, uh, and both, if you've listened to me with any regularity, you know both of my parents have passed away. My father passed away almost 17 years ago now, in 2005, and my mom passed away the year after that, uh, in 2006. And, um, And I was an only child, and so I certainly was around them um, and was influenced by them, it's impossible not to be, right? We are, we, if, you, if you really dig down to the essence of your personality, uh, it's impossible not to see and hear and acknowledge the influence that your parents have on you. Of, and you pick up their traits some of them genetically, but some of them uh, through behavior, through mimicking, through seeing and being around them. You can't help but be influenced by them. What they say, what they do, how they act. As you're growing up, you may recall that there may be aspects of your parents' personality that you found um, admirable and things that you would want to, um, you know, mimic and and make a part of your personality. And then, especially when you're a teenager, I'm sure, 
there were parts of your parents' personality and the way they acted and what they said and what they thought about that you swore you would never do. That bugged the heck out of you that you rebelled against and you <clears throat> may have kept it to yourselves. Who knows? Maybe you even told them. Uh, you know, those those teen years are, are tough years for everyone. I'm, I've never been a parent. I don't know, but I can only assume you know that every parent says it that there is that there's that there's that that time you know, when a, when a, when a kid is 12 or 13 or 14 where suddenly um they become different they become themselves at least they are trying to put forth their own self their own personality and and uh, and decide who they are and what they are for a good period of our lives, our parents run our lives. They are our main influence. They are our main provider. And um, and we are under their watch and under their guidance. As I said before, we observe them. We learn from them. We mimic them. And while we have our own personalities, they certainly have a major, major developmental role in forming our personalities when we are babies and at a young age, when they really are all-consuming and control our lives. It's funny how our lives grow uh, as we get older, isn't it? Um, You know, I mean, think about it. When you're a baby, your life is whatever is in front of you. That's, That's the world. The world is whatever is right in front of you when you're a baby, right? That's about as much of the world as you observe. And and soon after that, it's it's the eyes of your parents. If you look at a baby, uh, you know, they 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 do look around, they react, but when they look at their parents, there's a different look. There's a look of safety. There's a look of, of, uh, of need and trust there. And, and so our parents, for a good portion of our, of our early lives, are our world. And then as we get older, as a baby and as a toddler, we begin to explore and our world gets a little bigger and suddenly our world, we start to notice our crib, you know, and we, and then we start to notice people walking and, and, and we are looking around and we're touching and then we start to walk and we start to discover and suddenly our world is not just what's in front of us, our world is what's around that corner. Our world is bigger, is more than just our crib than when we start to walk. Our, our world is, is that room and that room and behind there and what's that? And then as we get older, our world becomes outside and we start to notice the outside world. We are still being carried or pushed or taken, but we are noticing the world outside. And then as we get bigger, we are put into social situations and then suddenly the world is bigger than our house <clears throat> and it's bigger than our block and it's certainly and suddenly it's 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 the it's the community around us and then when we go to school 
oh my gosh, there's it, it, there's more people and more rooms and and more to discover and more streets. And it just keeps growing and growing and growing. But the, the constant through that, at least until your teens, I believe, are your parents. They, your home and your parents, they still are those foundational rocks. And as I said, uh, the influence of a parent is immeasurable. And as we get older, we, as I said, I think uh, we, 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 we begin to see attributes and personality traits of our parents that we admire, and we try to incorporate those into our own. And then there may be, hey, nobody's perfect, right? We see things about our parents then, and we get a little more critical of our parents. When we're young kids, I mean, our parents can do no wrong, right? They're, 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 they, are, they are our world, and they are providing for us, and they are perfect. But as we get older, as we get out into the world, we, we see deficiencies in everyone. Our parents especially, because they have been this, this primary role model for us. And then we start to see other people's parents or other people, and we start to uh, you know, use our own brains and our own logic, and we start to you know, do comparisons. And we start to see maybe some deficiencies. And so we say, wow, I love this about what my mom and dad is or what they do or how they are, but I also, I don't like that. And I don't know if I'm going to, I'm gonna, if, even if I have that trait, <clears throat> if I've picked that up through observation and as, on as, as just osmosis as a young, impressionable child, I'm going to try to to work on that and, and maybe downplay that aspect of my personality that I may have gotten from them because I'm not really, I'm not really in favor of that one. I like, you know, A, B, C, D, and E, but I'm not so crazy about F here. And that's how we become who we are, right? And then we, we look for other outside influences. And many times it's other people, it's strangers or it's, it's teachers or it's, uh, it's, it's, it's people that we read philosophers we get, or, you know, people out in the, in the, in the culture, you know, that we, we idolize, if you will, under, you know, quotation marks, idolize or respect. And we look at their attributes and we, we incorporate things about that they did, maybe historically or contemporary people. So we are sponges and we, we soak in everything and then it's up to us to decide what we, we want and what we don't want. And uh, as I said before, uh, our parents, it, parenting is the most important, the most hardest, the most hard, I guess, is the correct way to say that, and probably in many ways, the most frustrating job that humans have. Because, you know, if you, if you do a good job, if you do a, the right job in raising your child, ultimately, they will need you less. And that's the great, the great conflict. If you've done a good job, that means that you have raised an independent thinking and an independent living person who can provide for themselves and sustain themselves. 
They may need you at times, but they don't need to cling to you anymore. They don't need to talk to you every 10 minutes to get your opinion or your advice because you have raised somebody that is an independent thinker and who can work out their problems on their own. And I'm sure as a parent, that's very frustrating because you were their you were their world you were their lives and you relished that and you love them unconditionally and you want to be a part of their lives every day and you want to be a part of their decisions every day and you still want to guide them you still want to make sure they're making the right decisions but you your job also as a parent is to raise uh, an independent um, member of society who can function on their own, and so there, there mu- it must be a difficult um, transition to make, and to accept, and to acknowledge. You may feel like, oh my, 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 my child doesn't need me anymore. I've done a bad job. They don't love me. They're, 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 they're excluding me from their lives. No, 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 no. If your child is, is, is leading an independent life, is making um, decisions for themselves, um, that is a tribute to you. They, that act is the greatest sign of love to you. And it's and it's and it's also a, a great gesture of gratitude to you. Thank you for raising me to be able to take care of myself, because that is the goal of a parent: to raise a child that can take care of themselves. Look at the, look at the the animal kingdom. the 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 parents, mainly the mothers, they 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 show their 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 young children their young cubs or whatever you want to say whatever species how to do things and many times when that instinctual teaching period is over many times the parent doesn't even deal with the children anymore it's like you are now out on your own i've taught you all i can we humans, because of our emotions, I think, and our logic and everything, we tend to cling a little more. But if you look at the animal kingdom, most animals, while the, the, the mother, and, and sometimes it's both parents, but many times it is just the mother, is very protective and, and very um, focused on their children during those early formative months and years. But after they have, in their minds, instinctually passed on the knowledge and the lessons that they need to in order for that little baby cub or little baby whatever to, you know, bird, whatever it is, to be able to fly, to be able to go out on its own, to be able to hunt, to be able to be self-sufficient, self-sustaining, Many times that that parent is no longer involved with that child. So I believe that if you have raised a, a, a child 
that uh, is self-sufficient and independent and free-thinking and thinking for themselves and is living their lives and making decisions that they want to make, you have done a great job. And their life and their the way they are leading their lives is a tribute to you, is an expression of their love to you. It may not be said, but the fact that they can live that life without calling you 20 times a day because they can't function without your um, your advice, that may be nice to you, that may be something that you that you enjoy, but they need to be able to be to think for themselves. So if you have a, a, a child that is independent and doesn't call you 40 times a day, don't take that as that they don't love you. Don't take that as a rejection. It may be difficult. I understand that. But I would offer, take that as a great compliment. Take that as a self-satisfaction for yourself that you raised this this child that at one time was so dependent on you, but you instilled the ability for that child to be independent, to think for themselves, to make decisions, to be who they wanted to be. Because you will not always be here. And they need to get on. They need to move on and live on when you are gone. So don't look at that as any kind of a of a, of a negative. I think it's the ultimate compliment and you have done the ultimate job. You have raised a a productive member of society who can get along in the society on their own. That is the role of a parent. It may be thankless. But that's the job. That that that's part of the job. And don't forget in most cases, you made that decision. But you, I think most parents need to understand that at the outset. That the better job you do, perhaps, the less input you will have as time goes on. But that's not a rejection of you. In anything, that's a celebration of you and, a, a, and an acknowledgement of the good job that you did as a parent. As conflicting as that may sound, Think about it. It makes sense. There are parts of our parents that we we gladfully make a part of our personalities, and there are parts of our parents, as I said before, that we say, "Ooh, well, I don't know if I, I don't, know if I don't know if I like that quick temper, or I don't know if I like that this or that." And we try, and and that may be we when we and as we get older, we recognize that in ourselves, and and we we may we we try to maybe elevate the good parts, and as I say before, uh, you know, eliminate or at least suppress or downplay some of those other aspects that we may have taken from our parents that we're not so happy about. Um, I don't know about you, but as I've gotten older, uh, um, one of my jokes <clears throat> is, especially with my dad, is, I'm just um, moistening my instrument here. <clears throat> as I've gotten older, 
there are things I find myself saying things that my dad said, acting the way my dad said, and 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 doing things that I <clears throat> said I would never do. Aspects of the, of my dad's personality that I felt were you know things that I wouldn't want, and my mom's too. But but my dad, I believe, is 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 getting a uh, a well deserved revision. <laughs> in my mind as i get older because i'm you you know it's it, that's the frustrating thing about this as well <clears throat> you cannot put a price on on wisdom born out of experience and you cannot get experience unless you live through it and when we're in our teens and in our 20s and even in our 30s even in our 40s we still think that we know everything. And in many ways, our parents are from another generation. Our parents are from another, another era. And, uh, and we know better, right? Haven't we all done that? Don't we all think that many times we've known better than our parents? But I think if your parents live long enough, and if you live long enough, you will find that your parents... We're acting based on the experiences and knowledge that they gained through their lives. And you're not there yet. But when you get to be that age when you were looking at your parents and not agreeing with them and not understanding how they could do this or think that, you couldn't understand it because you didn't have the amount of time on this planet, the amount of experience that they lived through. But as you get older, you get it. And suddenly what they did and how they thought and how they acted makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? The running joke that I have now is I will say, you know what? My dad was a genius. (laughs) He was a genius. And we didn't know it. Because I'm like, you know, he used to always say this, and I never understood what, I never could get why he thought that, or I never understood that. But now I find myself in that situation going, now I get it. Unfortunately, he's not here for me to be able to acknowledge that to him. And we had a good relationship. And before he passed away, we we had a, a nice moment where we shared and we... We told each other we loved each other and we, and we, and we, you know, so there was no, but you know, any, any child and their parent has some rough patches, especially boys and their fathers. But I think overall I had a, I had a very good loving relationship with my dad. And, and as I said, before he passed away, we were able to, to share that. But I do find myself now being in situations and saying things and acting in ways that I never thought I would, like my dad, and not trying to suppress them, but embracing them and saying, you know what? The man was a genius. 
No, I'm exaggerating that. But my point is, yes, he did know. There was a reason for that. I couldn't see it because I didn't have the life experience up to that point that he did. So my joke is that my, my parents, both of them, have gotten much more insightful, much more intelligent, um, much more evolved uh, now in my life than they they were when they were alive in my life. I am I am reassessing because now I am their age when I was judging or viewing them. And now I get it. So I will joke jokingly say, "Up oh, there, there, up oh, there, there's my dad again." And you know what? Remember when he, the man was a genius. He knew. <laughs> but um, I come back to my original premise here about my 200th show in Detroit because it 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 plays right into this. My mother, uh, who was a very big influence on me. Um, don't forget, I was raised during a time when, when moms stayed home and and dads went to work. And even though my mom did work for a while, um, you know, in my formative years, up until, you know, nine or ten, my mom was home. And so uh, she was a huge, huge influence on me in many ways. Um, I am, My personality, I believe, is, is really a, a, a mix of both of them. But certainly, my um, my ability to uh, to talk and my ability to um, express myself and, and and not even my ability, but my my um, my 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 thirst for it, my passion for it, my interest in it. My mom was a very social person. Now, that's what's what's funny is I am not as social as she was. My dad was a little with a little more withdrawn. He he had a close group of friends, but he was also a little withdrawn. My mom was a social butterfly. She loved to be amongst people. She loved to be in a crowd. I enjoy it in certain settings. And then sometimes and my mom when I was growing up would always you know, kind of complain. She's like, "Oh, well, you know, when you're out, you, when you're out amongst people, you're all talkative, and you're all, and you know, you're entertaining, and you're laughing, and you're funny, and you're the, you know, you're you're driving all this, you know, the the conversation. And then when you get home, you just go into your room. We don't hear three words from you. And that's a that's a common kind of thing for a performer is that." Uh, in a social situation, they are they're big and they are active, but when they are by themselves uh, or they're home, they they withdraw. There there needs to be a downtime. You can't be on, you know, twenty four hours. And um, but my mom loved a social situation. She loved being around people. She loved going out. She loved talking to people. She loved interacting with people she was a member of many different clubs um she was and of course when she was a member of the club she wasn't just a member but she was an officer 
the president or this or that. She loved to, you know, this is where I think where I get my public speaking. Uh, she loved to give a, a speech. She loved to be in front of a microphone. Then look where I am right now, right? So we are certainly, you know, the result of our parents. And in that case, I, I'm, I'm, I very much like my mom. But I also have some, some internal boundaries that I create in, in terms of my socialization. My mom had no boundaries, which used to drive me crazy. My mom would, be, would talk to anyone, anywhere, at any time. We would be on an elevator. And it's just me and her and maybe one or two other people. And she would inevitably start a conversation with that person. She would either talk loud and make a comment that somebody would, 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 would want to react to or almost had to react to. Or she would, she would and once again, this, this used to drive me crazy. I don't know. Maybe you, other people might not. But one of the things my mom loved to do, she loved jewelry. My mom loved jewelry. She would, um, you know, she would, if there was a woman anywhere, on an elevator, in a line at a grocery store, whatever, if she saw a woman's wedding ring, she would grab the person's hand and say, oh, my God, that's a gorgeous ring. Now, uh, some people may be offended and you're, you're, you're invading my boundary. Um, this was, you know, 40, 50 years ago. Maybe people weren't as sensitive. I don't know. But all I know is that my, that most women, I think, are very proud and, uh, you know, and, 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 and they want to show off their wedding rings, right? So I think my mom knew that. I think she liked jewelry and, and was, and she wasn't just trying to, to suck up to somebody, but I think she also knew that, you know, complimenting a woman's ring was was not going to get her in trouble. It may even endear her to them because they were noticing. A, a woman likes to wear her ring, right, and wants her wedding ring to be noticed, right, to some extent. And my mom was always just great. Oh my God, that ring is gorgeous. That, that, I mean, I, I remember that so clearly. And I was, as a little kid especially, I was so embarrassed when my mom would either start talking to a stranger or do the wedding ring thing, or she would compliment a woman, especially on her her, her outfit or or something. She would. She just had the need to to interact with people and it would drive me crazy to the point now where i where, as i said we we take aspects of our, of our 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 parents personality and then we try to suppress those as a little kid i was so embarrassed by my mom even though the people that she was talking to were very happy to get involved in this conversation for the most part some people were just like they nodded and they didn't want it but a lot of times she would strike up a conversation with these people for whatever, my mother was was giving them a compliment or noticing them, and they were acknowledging that. And then, you know, the elevator or in the line, and they went their separate ways, but there was this little interaction that she enjoyed. Well, it embarrassed the heck out of me. And so if you ever see me in an elevator, I will be in the corner of the elevator. I will put my head down. I will not. It, I and, and I know it's a clear reaction to what the way my mom, even if there's one other person, I will really not make much 
uh, small talk. I will put my head down. And and maybe I maybe that's viewed as being antisocial. I don't know. Although there are times when something may happen, and I'll make a comment or make a little joke. But I won't. My mom had extended you know conversations with these people, and I it, it drove me crazy. I was so embarrassed. Oh, mom, stop, stop. And you know, once again, as I said before, especially a teenager, everything a parent does when uh, when you're a teenager um, embarrasses their kid, especially in front of their friends. So this wasn't even in front of my friends. This was in front of strangers. So I think that I, I you know, I've, I have, uh, I've taken that kind of social thing of giving people space and not interacting, not because I wouldn't want to, but because I just felt so embarrassed when my mom did it that I was like, I, I just, I don't want to do that. But I do find myself as I get older making a few more comments or making more. But for the most part, I will be in an elevator and I will be in the corner. And, and as I said, if you know me, if you see me out in public, um, especially in front of a crowd, I'm I'm never one to just simply blend in. But in these kind of one-on-one closed kind of situations i believe that i am totally influenced by what how i felt when i saw my mom being overly social at least that's the way i thought about it another thing that my mom did which um i i guess you could view it as an attribute or or not i don't know it's something that i haven't once again i i I didn't my mom did not drive Okay, she, this was a, this, she came, you know, she was born in a different era. She never learned to drive. And so she was very dependent on people to get from one place to another. She took public transportation. My dad would drive her different places. I said she was very active in all these different, you know, she, she did work for a time and then she was, but in her spare time. On weekends and evenings, she was members of different clubs. She would go to all these different events during the day and the evening. And, you know, sometimes she would go to a meeting in the morning, a luncheon in the afternoon, and a a banquet at night. My dad would say, oh, today she's got a triple header. She's going to be out from 8 in the morning till 10 at night. And she always had rides lined up, you know. She's going to get to this because this one's going to meet her over here, and then this one's going to pick her up here, and then over there, this person's going to pick her up and drive her home, and she always had her transportation covered, as I said before. She was very well-liked by a lot of people, and she was very social, and people were, were at, least, at least outwardly happy to, to give her a lift. So she, but there were times... And these were people that she knew, right? But there were times when she, and I, I don't know how <laughs> how safe this you know, was, and I don't know if I would do this in 2022, but it was a different time. But my mom at times would was so social, and she had so much, so much guts. She was a force of nature in terms of her personality that, if, if she would go up to a stranger, and I don't know if she could read them or not, but she every every time she did this, it, it worked out well. So she must have had some kind of intrinsic value to be able to 
size someone up, but she would sometimes actually ask strangers for a ride, like verbal hitchhiking. (laughs) She never put her thumb out, but she would strike up a conversation with somebody, perhaps at an event or something or somewhere. If it started with the ring or the, the outfit or whatever, and and then the conversation would continue and up, 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 and oh, I don't have a ride home. Oh, well, I'll give you a ride. And she would get a ride, and I would, and it, it, it would worry me to death because she's getting sometimes in cars with people that, you know, are strangers. I mean, not complete strangers, you know, not, you know, just someone on the street per se, but I don't know. But most of the times it was people at an event where at least they were, they were at the same event, so they were, you know, they weren't complete strangers or they weren't just some ne'er do well. But they were strangers, were strangers, right? I mean, who knows? I mean, we could see. I mean, some of the most normal, quote unquote, normal people in, in social situations turned out to be crazy people, right? So thank God nothing ever happened to her. But, but because she, she needed this transportation, she was like, oh, I don't want to keep calling your father. And then I, when I learned to drive, oh, I didn't want to keep calling you. So she would do this. It, it drove me crazy, but I could, you know, she was very strong-willed as well. Like, we, we could never talk her out of it. She didn't do it all the time, but she did it enough where it was like, oh, geez. So it became a thing. So like, for instance, a perfect example. When she lived, the last three years of her life, she lived here with us. Her Her health was failing. My father's health was was seriously failing, and he was in a uh, it was in a, a in a nursing home a facility because of of of, a, of his um, of his ailments, and so she was living with us, and we were both going to work during the day, and so she was you know going to visit my dad you know on a daily basis at the at the nursing home, and it wasn't far, and so you know I said you know here's the cab. Here's a cab, you know, number, and call the cab, and, you know, they'll take the cab to the nursing home during the day, and then one of us will pick you up in the evening, you know, after work. And that was, and, you know, we went to work, and we assumed that that's what was happening, right? I mean, we, we, at, we in, in the evening, there she was at the nursing home, so how else would she get there? She had to have taken the cab there, right? <laughs> well, one day I'm I'm outside and uh, in front of our house, and um, there's a woman next uh, across the street who we had some interactions with, but not a lot. We recognized each other by sight and we'd wave and say hi, but I didn't know her name. We hadn't lived here all that long. But, I mean, once again, it wasn't like we were best friends. We didn't socialize. We saw each other every so often. We'd wave, acknowledged one another, but we weren't acquaint- we, were, we weren't even acquaintances. So one day I was, I was out either, you know, cutting the grass or doing something in the front, and the woman came by and, <clears throat> and crossed the street, and she said, Oh, how's your mother doing? And I thought that was an odd question because I said, Well, how does she know that my mother's here? Right? I mean, my, my mom's been living with us at that time for a couple of months, but it wasn't like my mom was outside in the front. How? I mean, she may have seen her 
with us, but how did she know that it was my mom? I mean, I don't know. And I think she even said Lori, which was my mom's name. So she knew my mom. And I'm so I'm kind of perplexed by this. And I said, Oh, well, fine. How how do you how do you know her? And she says to me, Oh, well, I've been giving her a ride to the nursing home. <laughs> what? You've what? You know, my mom never told me this. <laughs> I knew this woman. She's in the neighborhood. She's across the street from me. I trust that she's, you know, a safe person. But my mom never told me that she wasn't taking the cab. My mom never told me that she struck up a, a, a friendship or a conversation with a woman across the street to the point this woman was driving. She said, well, you know, I go that way. And so I'm, I've been dropping her off over the last, you know, several weeks or a month or so. And I told her, I thank you for this. I appreciate this, but I was not aware of it. And I'm a little concerned because I, I, I don't know where that my mom's with you. So please, um, you know, I'm going to have to talk to her, but. You know, please don't do that anymore because if something ever happens, I don't know that she's with you. I, I, I'm assuming she's taking a cab. I appreciate it's a very nice gesture, but I would I would appreciate if you didn't do that because I don't want her to be your responsibility. If something happens, that's not that's not your you know your concern. So I appreciate you helping her, but please know that I'm going to. Make sure that she finds another way to get there with either one of us in the family or, you know, with a cab or something. Because I don't want you to be responsible. And she understood. So then I talked to my mom. I said, how have you been getting? You know, she was a little cagey. And then she admitted it. And and so, I, I mean, I was like, wow, you know, here we go again. You know, but she just had this knack of of talking to people and striking up conversations. And, and she had a, a very effervescent personality. She was a big personality. Um, and she could do this. And she was very persuasive, I guess. But it always drove me crazy. You know, this talking to strangers and then this, this getting a ride from strangers was even like the next level. Always drove me nuts swore I would never do it, right? That's the part of my personality or her personality that there were many attributes that I did take from her willingly and 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 elevated and amplified of my own personality because I I I, I admired them in her. But this the this kind of over socialization and this over trusting of people, I was uh, I would never do that in a million years. I would never get in a car with a stranger. Harkening back to my days in grammar school when we were told about stranger danger and never get into a car with a stranger. And here was my mom actively pursuing getting to, into cars with strangers in order for her to get around. <laughs> I wish she just would have learned how to drive. <laughs> so flash forward, after a, after a lifetime, of 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 being embarrassed by this, of being worried by this, and of of saying this is one aspect 
of my mom's personality that I will never do. My whole life being sworn to that because it, 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 it just made me uncomfortable. It made me worried and I just, I just didn't, I, I didn't like it. I felt like they were imposing. It was just, you know. Flash forward to February 8th, 2022. After a lifetime of observing this, of being embarrassed by it, of being angered by it, of being worried by it, of being sworn I would never do it. Flash forward to February 8th, 2022 in Detroit, Michigan. Detroit is an interesting city in that it was once one of the most burgeoning, lively, successful cities in this country and over the last 40 or 50 years. Uh, it, has, uh, it has you know, gone through very tough economic transformations as the car industry has shifted. And Detroit is a, is, it's trying to come back, but it is a, it's a mere shadow and a mere shell of, of the kind of city it was. And when you drive through it, you can see the abandoned buildings and the lack of hustle and bustle on the streets. And when you look at pictures and film of Detroit in the 50s and 60s, um, it's, it's this, it's like a, it's like a beehive of activity. And now the streets are very empty there are many huge sections of the city that are that are underdeveloped that are completely vacant now at times there have been wild animals now walking the streets of downtown detroit and its in its outskirts because the land is 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 abandoned so uh i went to the my 200th concert in detroit and um they're, they are trying to get a, an economic rebound, and but there's not a lot of hotels. They built this new arena called the Little Caesars Arena, um, but it's it's not surrounded by hotels and a lot of action. It's kind of you know in its own place. You got to go across the highway and a couple of miles, and where the downtown is, where there's some action. And so the hotel that I stayed in, you know, you, you can't, there's no, you can't really catch a cab anymore, you know, uh, uh, just on the street. They're really not there. And I'm not really, this gets, this gets back to my mom, I think, again. I'm not really big on Uber. I have never ordered an Uber on my, on my own. Even though now I have a smartphone and I can just have the Uber app, I have, I, I, the idea of, of getting into somebody's, car like that is still a little odd to me it is i've said many times uber to me feels like digital hitchhiking yes i know getting into a cab is the same thing i don't know the cab driver it's a strange cab but at least there's some vetting system the cab driver needs uh you know needs a license and the cab company at least does some kind of background checks i don't know there's very regular there's very few regulations you know governmental regulations on Uber that they are on cabs you've got to you've got to count on Uber internally doing their own and I don't I don't know if I trust corporations not to cut corners to make money whereas cabs are licensed and under government regulations so I feel a little safer in a cab than I am in an Uber 
So I'm, you know, I'm at the, at the hotel and I'm, and I'm saying, you know, I, I need to get to the little Caesars and it's not far. It's maybe, you know, a 10 minute, you know, five minute drive. It's a little too far to walk, especially it was very cold. And I don't know what kind of areas, because like I said, you know, a lot of this is all just vacant. I don't know what's going on. I don't know that town. And there's not a lot of action. It's, it, I mean, it was, it was, you know, six in the afternoon, six, you know, and, and, and it was dead. It was desolate. It was just really sad to see this major city that, that just is not a major city anymore. So I went to the desk and I asked, you know, can I get a cab? And they said, well, I don't know. It's gonna, you, can't, you certainly won't catch one on the street. You'll have to call one. I mean, if you go downtown Chicago, you can catch a cab. Or downtown New York, you can catch a cab five seconds. But not here. There were no cabs driving around. And the guy mentioned, you know, the Uber thing. I said, well, geez, I don't have the Uber app. So thankfully, I was able to get a cab that came and, and they dropped me off. And I was asking then when I got to the, uh, you know, the venue, I was asking people at the venue, you know, is there an area where cabs will be driving, you know, to come back? And he said, well, there's a there's the Uber pickup. There's a lot of people will be standing over at this one area here. And cabs most likely will be passing as well. So I said, okay. So I, at least I had a, you know, some information as where when the concert ended, how I would get back to my hotel. I'm always planning ahead. I like to know where what I need to do and how I need to do it before. I like to just be, plan ahead. So once I got to the venue, I was asking people. Oh, I'm, the concert hadn't even started yet, and I'm already thinking about how am I going to get back to the hotel. It makes life a lot easier than playing it by ear. At least for me, it does. So I was confident that, you know, fairly confident that I could catch a cab and get home back to the hotel. <clears throat> but still, there was like, well, geez, you know, hopefully there's cabs there, right? I'd have to, you know, call the hotel and maybe, I don't know. But I, you know, I was close enough to the hotel. But anyway, so when I was outside, waiting for the cab to pick me up to go to the concert, I noticed a young couple um, outside, and they were kind of dressed up, and they were waiting for their car. I guess it was valet parked, and I noticed them. And I said to myself, I bet you they're going to the concert. Just because it was around the same time we were leaving, uh, you know, this hotel was one of the closest hotels to the venue. They looked younger. They were dressed. And they, I, I, bet you, I bet you they're they're staying at this hotel like I am, and they're going to the concert. But it was a very fleeting thought. It wasn't like I, you know, was just in the moment when I saw them, I said, oh, I bet you they're going to the concert too. Well, crazy as it is, not only then when I got to the venue, I saw them waiting in the line to get in. <clears throat> so I said to them, oh, because they may have recognized me too. Because I walked up to them, once again, like my mom, right? <laughs> I walked up to these strangers and initiated a conversation like my mom. And I said, oh, are you staying at the blank hotel? Because I think I saw you outside there. I just took a cab. And they said, oh, yeah, no, we drove. I said, oh, okay, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that was it. We just had this real brief, you know, acknowledgement that we stay at the same hotel. 
And, um, you know, but no big deal. They, they, they walked, you know, they stayed in line and I went to some spot. And then the doors opened and we went into the concert and I expected I wouldn't see them again. Well, then the ironies continued. It winds up they were sitting in the row behind me. <laughs> I mean, what are the odds of this? I mean, there's, there's 15 to 18,000 people, maybe 20,000 people in this, this huge arena. And these people that I saw outside my hotel and sort of guessed and, and just in my mind thought maybe they're going, they're probably going to the concert. Not only was I right then, but I see them when I get to the concert. And then when I'm in there, there's, you know, we're, we, we parted ways. There's all these people walking up concourses, escalators, bop, 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 boop, 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 beep, beep, beep. And when I sit down, I happen to turn my shoulder and I see them sitting behind me. <laughs> so the concert goes on. I get up to the front of the stage. I have my little sign, as I told you last week. I flash the sign. Elton mentions that I'm. this is my 200th concert. Uh, I'm not sure how they knew, but as I'm leaving now, and I'm walking down the aisle to get out, look who's in front of me. This couple again. And the, and the, the guy from the couple says, hey, are you the 200 guy? And I said, yeah, I am, in fact. And we started talking because we're kind of in this cattle call of people that are just, you know, moving slow to go up the thing, <clears throat> you know, to go up the aisles to get out. So now here's where I become my mom for really, I made, and I, 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 it, it dawned on me that I was becoming my mom and I didn't stop myself. <laughs> After all those years of denying it, I did not stop myself. I already knew where to get a cab, right? I spoke to somebody who worked at the venue and said, where where would cabs be when the show is over, right? So I knew where. But, you know, once again, it's always a crapshoot to get a cab, right? I know that these people have a car and are staying at my hotel. They're going to my hotel. And they have a car. Why not get a ride with them? We had a few little encounters. We just had a nice little conversation here. They seemed like they were a nice couple. They, they didn't seem like they were weird or dangerous or something. And we're only going to drive seven minutes away. And then we're at the hotel. So... While we're, I'm walking and talking with them, there's another guy that's talking to me that was at the concert that, that noticed me up at the front of this thing. And he said he lived in the area. And so here's where I really became my mom. I mean, I, I, taught, I learned my lessons well at the foot of the master. While the, 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 the couple are on my left, I'm talking now to this is we're still walking. We, we're still in a jam of people. So, you know, they, they have to, they're right next to me on, on my left. This other guy is on my right and they could hear me talking. We're talking about the concert and this guy had been to 107 Elton concerts. So he was a big fan. And I said, oh, you're, are you from this area to him? And he said, yeah. I said, oh, I said, do you know where I could catch a cab from this arena? You know, do you know, is there, a, is there an area like a cab stand or something around here? And he said, well, I think there's, you know, he kind of mentioned the same area where, where the, the person that, who worked at the place told me. 
But my goal was not to really get any new information. I knew where it was. My goal was to say that loud enough to this other guy so that this couple would hear that I need a ride home to the hotel where they're going. And my hope is, now that we've seen each other, we've had a few of these little encounters throughout the day, my hope is that they feel comfortable with me. I felt comfortable enough with them. I saw them at the hotel. I don't know their names or anything, their last names, but they're comfortable at the hotel that, you know what, for this little five, seven-minute ride home, maybe they'll give me a ride and I won't have to worry about going outside in the cold and and hopefully finding a cab or wondering if I can get a cab. They can, they're, they're going back to the hotel probably, right? It's 11 o'clock on a Monday or Wednesday, whatever it was, and they're staying at my hotel. So I, I asked them, this guy specifically, and said it loud enough, just like my mom used to do in the, in the elevators or in the lines at the grocery store, say it loud enough so someone would hear and react. But the guy and the, and the woman did not react. So I said, oh, well, I gave it a shot. Sorry, Mom, your technique didn't work this time. Maybe that was a different era. <laughs> you were born for your times, Mom. But I'm always thinking about my mom. Well, as we are moving now, um, I was going up one way, and they seemed to be, you know, the, the line was short, and they, and they cut around and, and were going out another exit. And I'm like, oh well, I lost my chance. I'm not getting my 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 ride back to the hotel with this couple. I'm gonna I'm gonna, I am gonna have to go outside and and test my luck with getting a cab where they told me to wait. And then is as if my mom was there smiling and hovering over me and always taking care of me and saying, You see, I wasn't as crazy as you thought I was. I couldn't believe it. As they're walking up the stairs to, to to leave the you know the bowl of the arena, and we are now about fifty feet away from each other. They went on different a different uh, to a, toward a different exit, so we're not even close. I see the guy stop, and as the white as his girlfriend or wife at, at the time, I don't even know. Um, she's climbing up a couple of stairs and he stops and he's, and I see them and she turns and they're talking and then they talk for a couple of seconds. And then I see him walking back toward me. And don't, you know, he says, Hey, do you need a ride back to the hotel? Cause we're going back to the hotel. And I said, Oh, and I mean, I, I put on my best act. I said, Oh, are you? That would be great. I was so appreciative. Don't don't get me wrong. I wasn't trying to be phony here. I was genuinely appreciative. This was very nice of these people. And I'm still grateful to them for doing this. It was very nice. I mean, they they once again, they were trusting a stranger to get in their car just as I was trusting them to get into their car. But as I said before, we had some nice exchanges. Everybody seemed to to get along well, and we were sharing the excitement of the concert, and we were staying at the same hotel. So yeah, I mean, I certainly used, I, I was, I was, I was 
actively trying to get a ride home from them, whether they knew it or not. But I wasn't trying to take advantage of them in one, at all. I just was like, you know, I could really use this ride home because I, the, the, the cab situation is still a question mark. Whereas here, I know they're going to my hotel and here's a ride. So I used my mom's social techniques exactly how she used them and they worked. And it was a very pleasant little ride. We had a nice conversation. You know, we we talked and we went to the hotel and we said thank you. And I once again I was more than appreciative of, of them, you know, doing this for me. And they were, oh, don't worry about it. It was a nice exchange. And it it, it was helpful for me. They may have felt good about it. We had a nice little talk about stuff and and I said, you know, all and when it was done, I was I was actually it, it was a nice little exchange and I once again had a new appreciation. I looked at what my mom would talk to these strangers and I looked at it as an imposition. I looked at it as an embarrassing situation, as for me an angering situation at times. Like, oh, don't talk to anybody. But I never looked at it from her situation. Because she was having this social interaction with somebody and enjoying it. And they were, in, in many times, enjoying it too, right? They were doing her a favor. They were giving her a ride or they were thanking her for the compliment, whatever it was. But for the first time, I understood why she did that. Because it felt nice. It was a nice exchange as brief as it was i will never see these people again we didn't exchange phone numbers i'll never see them again but they did a nice act a generous act i was appreciative of it it helped me out we had a little moment together that we shared and then we went our separate ways but you know what it's been three weeks since that happened i remember every detail I remember what they looked like. I remember the exchange we had. I will always remember it as a great memory and a part of that overall experience of going to that concert, me getting a ride home from this strange from these two strangers who I saw throughout the show, ironically, at sitting beside me and at the hotel and, and in the line. It was almost like we were brought together. And I saw why probably my mom did that it was it was a nice moment to share with other people that i may never have had i don't know if i'm going to continue to do it but like me realizing some of the things that my dad has said and done and saying he's a genius i had a new appreciation for this this behavior that my mom did that i swore i would never do And I had a better understanding of why she did it and what it brought for her. It probably brought for her a nice little moment of personal interaction, helping her out, definitely, but also giving people a thank and being, you know, giving people maybe a little warm fuzzy themselves, like, oh, I did a nice little deed for someone today. There was no harm in that. For years, I looked at it like it was an imposition, like it was something bad. And here, I suddenly got a revelation. 
had a new appreciation for something that my mom did and for who my mom was. This is what I'm telling you about parents. Your kids never stop learning from you, no matter how old they are and even when you're not here. We always will learn from our parents if we keep them alive and present in our lives. And so when I got to the hotel, I called my wife, let her know that I was back, and I started the conversation by saying, well, I've officially turned into my mom. And my wife immediately said, did somebody give you a ride home from the concert? (laughs) She knew exactly because she had been around this situation with my mom for many years. She knew. But when I made that, all I had to say was I've officially turned into my mom. And knowing that I was at a place where I didn't have a, a, a mode of transportation, she immediately knew what I was talking about. So if you don't think that parents have an influence and an impact on your kids' lives, whether you know it or not, you do. And you always will. Your kids will never forget you. And they will they will begin to emulate you long after you're gone. Because the lessons that you taught them and the influences that you showed them stay with them. It took a long time and a lot of swearing I'd never do it. But on February 8th, ironically, my dad's birthday, on my dad's birthday, I also became a little closer to being my mom. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And don't forget to spread the word. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs, too. Your loyalty and devotion is much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 301. 301. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic from the end of the web to your screen. Thanks for the ride, Mom.